Welcome. You're listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Visit us on the web at vedanta.org. Good morning, everyone. If you know the chant, uh, please chant along. Om Asato Ma Sadgamaya Tamaso Ma Jyotir Gamaya Mrityor Ma Amritam Gamaya Avir Avir Maiti Rudrayate Dakshinam Mukham Tenamam Pahinityam Tenamam Pahinityam Om Shanti 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 Lead us from the unreal to the real. Lead us from darkness to light. Lead us from death to mortality. O Lord, light us through and through, and ever protect us with a loving presence. Om Peace, Peace, Peace. I'm going to share a story with you right now. It's a little bit of a fun story. A few weeks ago, a past college friend who I haven't spoken to in a number, a number of years had got a hold of me. She told me that they're having a college reunion. Somehow she found me. You know, when you join a monastery, you become, you basically go into a black hole and you become uh, unknown to your friends and everybody else. You're sort of what's called an M-M-I-A, a monk missing in action. <laughs> so as we were talking, I, I asked her how she was doing. She said she had gone on a recent blind date, and she was having a lot of fun talking to her date while they're driving, an illuminating conversation on science and metaphysics. Everything was going well, when all of a sudden, a lightning bolt occurred. Bam! Car cut in front of them. The driver, her date, felt the storm coming within him. And all of a sudden, there's this rage, and OMGs were coming out, cuss words, and she was like, wow. He then drives by to catch up to the SUV, where he's ready to give his final message. <laughs> As he comes near the SUV, he starts to see on the mirror of the SUV, one of those handicap signs. Then as he gets closer, he sees that there's this very old man with these wraparound sunglasses and his head just above the steering wheel as he's driving. And the date looks at the person and says, poor guy, probably can't see. And then they drive away. The next thing she tells me, and then after that, of course, she didn't go out with him. She basically was called ghosted him. And I asked, like, what's ghosting? It's when you never call the guy back again. <laughs> so I was curious to know what causes such movements within a person in such a few minutes. Why is it that it just seems that things are always changing in front of us? So it was like the next day, I believe, that I, I took half a day to start observing my own emotions, my own moods, and my own thoughts, just to see what happens during the course of the day after I eat a meal, after meditation, after I'm active, what's the state of my mind like? And I noticed that there were times when it felt like it was sunny and things were illumined, and other times when it felt like things were getting cloudy, and at other times when, when a storm was about to loom on. So it felt like, sometimes I felt like different people during the course of the day. There's the action jackson swami when I'm at the gym or I'm setting up a retreat. I get all hyped up. There's the reflective swami when I study or I'm in meditation and get different insights about my own self. And then there's the kickback swami when I just feel tired, passive, and just want to relax, maybe with music. What is causing these changes? What we learn in Vedanta, it's called the gunas. What are the gunas? Well, they're subtle qualities, energies, forces that create the fabric of this material world. 
our matter, our life, and our mind. They're defined as strands or ropes. Why are they defined as strands or ropes? Because they tie you down. They tie your infinite awareness to a limited body and mind so that you're experiencing limited happiness, limited knowledge. And these gunas are in constant motion. They move in three ways, sattva, rajas, and tamas, which I'll explain later. And it's because of these gunas, it's why we experience the nature, things around us in movement, and why we experience ourselves in movement. Now, how do they do this? How do the gunas bind us into our body and mind? Well, let's look at the Bhagavad Gita for answers. From the Bhagavad Gita, we see, it says, it is the three gunas born of prakriti, sattva, rajas, and tamas, that bind the immortal self to the body. Sattva, pure, luminous, and free from sorrow, binds us with happiness and knowledge. It's that meditative joy that maybe we experience, that bliss that we get, that we just don't want to get out of. Rajas, how does that bind us? It's restless activity, rising from desire and attachment, binding us with action. We get bound by the things we do for the recognition we crave, for the fruits of our actions that we just don't want to let go of. And Thomas, it veils the mind in ignorance. It distorts our understanding and binds us in delusion. It's that comfortable feeling that we get just from being asleep to what's going on around us. So today, what we're going to talk about is we're going to start to understand and recognize what it means to live under the vibrations of these three gunas, sattva, rajas, and tamas. We are all experiencing them, and they're all fluctuating. And at times of the day or night, one will tend to predominate. So today it's about gaining self-awareness of our own actions, our own state of mind, and how they influence us in these gunic states. That is, how does our state of mind affect our moods, our feelings, our thoughts, and our actions? But today is going to be more also. It's going to be not only about self-awareness, but about self-transformation. Because if our state of minds determine our actions, then can we change our actions to create a new state of mind. How can we have guna management? <laughs> Today really is about guna management. So that when life is throwing things at you, how can you try to maintain balance? When our friends, our families, life, or even within us, constantly changing, how do we maintain balance? So that's what we're gonna be talking about today. And eventually, how to rise above the gunas to self-realization. This actually should be a two-part talk, because today it's more about recognizing how the gunas influence us. And another talk would then be about how we can actually rise above the gunas. The gunas as forces that shape our lives. Well, the infinite light of awareness shines within our mind. In a clear and transparent mind, infinite awareness is reflected within us as clear awareness. The awareness which illumines everything. You feel centered, reflective, calm, and self-content. This is sattva. It creates the revealing power. It reveals knowledge. In a partially clear mind, where your awareness is sort of scattered, your desires tend to project your awareness outward towards the world. You feel restless, active, passionate, 
about where your awareness is being directed. This is Rajas, projecting power. The idea here is like, if you can imagine the sun and your mind is like a mirror, the sun reflects light to the mirror. That mirror then takes the sun and reflects light outside, say to a particular object. Whatever that light reflects, you become aware of. Now, if you have desires or dust particles on that mirror, guess what? That light is going to project out those dust particles or those desires that we project out into the world. So we're chasing after these shadows of these desires that we're projecting out from us into the world. In a clouded mind, the last one here, where you feel you have so much baggage, you've collected so much karma, your awareness is basically veiled and concealed. And you have minimal awareness. You feel inertia. You feel inactive. You feel lazy and depressed. This is Thomas. Thomas is the veiling power. There is no light going out of you. The light is all being absorbed by your karma, by your baggage. It's only illuminating what's inside. So, what we're starting to see with the gunas is that it represents a mental state of awareness. One who has full awareness is one who has a sattvic mind. One who has partial awareness is one who has a rajasic mind. And one who has no awareness or minimal awareness that anything going on around them is one who has a tamasic mind. So there are three states of minds we're looking at now. Dull, active, and reflective. Quick question to you guys. What do you feel when your mind is dull? Quickly, anybody? Blurt out an answer. Bored, lethargic, yes. Any, anybody else? Apathetic, okay. What do you feel when your mind is active? Inspired. Inspired? Energized. Energized, yes. Cre what? Creative. Creative, yeah. Creative, we're gonna see, probably comes with more sattvic mind, but that's good. Okay, what's that? Excited. Excited, yes. Uh huh? Frenetic. Frenetic. I don't know what that means. I'll, 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 I'll accept that. <laughs> what do you feel when you have a reflective mind? Calm. Calm. Anybody else? Delighted. Clear. Do you see how when we started off with Tomasic, everybody was spurting off answers? We get to Rajasic, there are still answers, and when we get to Southwick, it's like less answers? Yes. So when you feel the effects of Thomas, you feel passive, sleepy inattentive, you're insensitive. You know what you are? You're an autopilot. The unconscious is driving you. You're not aware of anything. When you're rajasic, you're looking for something to do. You're moving, you're excited. And when you're sattvic, you feel like you're in that witness mode. You become observant. You become self-content. So in these different states, where do we find our attention being focused? By attention here, I mean, again, our infinite awareness reflected in our mind is shining out through our mind and the light that's being reflected through the mind is being directed somewhere. That is called our attention. Where is our attention being directed in these three different states? Well, let's look to Ramakrishna for help. Sri Ramakrishna says in the gospel, the characteristics of sattva, rajas, and tamas are very different. Egotism, sleep, gluttony, lust, anger, and the like are the traits of people with tamas. You know these things here? Ramakrishna also refers to them as the six alligators. Do you know why they're called alligators? Guess what happens when the alligator grabs you? Anybody's been grabbed by an alligator, no? <laughs> they don't let go. When you fall under the spell of these six alligators, 
you're in the clutches, it's hard to get out. And your awareness is directed to your individualized consciousness. Your awareness is only that. It only illumines your body. You're not caring. Your awareness is not going out. Remember, it's not reflecting out through your mind into your environment. You're not aware of anybody around you. You're insensitive to things around you. Your awareness is only stuck within your body. So that which fuels your body's pleasures, is that what you will give? It keeps you in that state of inertia. So you take foods like comfort foods, lust, addiction, compulsive behaviors to keep you from dealing with anything outside. It numbs you to anything external. The next paragraph, Ramakrishna says, men with rajas entangle themselves in many activities. Such a man has clothes all spick and span. His house is immaculately clean. A portrait of the queen hangs on a wall in his drawing room. When he worships God, he wears a silk cloth. He has a string of rudaksha beads around his neck, and in between the beads, he puts a few gold ones. When someone comes to visit the worship hall in his house, he himself acts as the guide. After showing the hall, he says to the visitor, Please come this way, sir. There are many other things to see. The floor of white marble and the Natmandir with its exquisite carvings. When he gives in charity, he makes a show of it. Where is our awareness being directed to here? It's being directed to our image. We become very image consciousness. We create an image of ourselves that we want other people to notice. We want to be recognized. It's about the name, the fame, the status. When we're rajasic, we want to stand out. We want to be noticed. The last paragraph says, But a man endowed with sattva is quiet and peaceful. So far as dress is concerned, anything will do. He earns only enough money to give his stomach the simplest of food. He never flatters men to get money. He doesn't hanker for name and fame. His worship, charity, and meditation are all done in secret. People do not know about them at all. He meditates inside his mosquito curtain. People think he doesn't sleep well at night and for that reason sleeps late in the morning. Sattva is the last step of the stairs. Next is the roof. As soon as sattva is acquired, there is no further delay in attaining God. One step forward and God is realized. To the subjudge, didn't you say that all men were equal? Now you see that there are so many Varieties of human nature. To me, your attention is directed to something greater than yourself. I call it an expanded consciousness. It's where you have peace, order, harmony, balance, and service. You know, an example of this is how many people here actually go to a gym? By show of hands. Okay. So, if you go, you'll notice three types of people. There'll be people who are sattvic in nature. They have an expanded sense of consciousness. When you see them, you see that whatever workout they do, they go to the gym, they do the Stairmasters. After the Stairmasters, they clean up everything. And if they see things are in disorder, they put things back in the proper place. They feel a sense of identity with the entire place. Then you'll find those people who work out and they wear the tank tops and they're like grunting when they're, Ugh! you know, about how much weight, bragging about how much weight they're doing. They care about their image. They're the rajasic type. And then you'll have some people who just do the weights and leave a mess all over the place. They don't care about anything or anybody, only about themselves. They're the tamasic types. So, so far, we have seen then, basically, that Thomas Rogerson's sattva, you have a clouded mind, a partial clear mind, and a clear mind. Also, Thomas, you have veiling power, there's projecting power, 
and revealing power. In Thomas, you feel like your mind is dull. In Rajas, you feel like you have an active mind. And in Sattva, you have a reflective mind. Also, you feel very individualized when you're in a tamasic state of mind. In a Rajasic, you become an image consultant to yourself. And in Sattvic, you feel a sense of expansiveness about yourself. What about your identity when you have these three states of mind? What is your identity? What is the one who's got a tamasic identity? I label them as the victim, the victim consciousness. A tamasic mindset is a victim who doesn't think, they just dwell. They regurgitate the same thoughts again and again in a continual cycle about their low self-esteem, about their blame story, about how it's not their fault. They stay in that hypnotic state. And what's their attitude? Their attitude is, poor, pathetic me. Life is always being done to me. They feel very passive. And they want to stay there. Whatever you do, you can't get them out. In a rajasic mind, the identity of someone who's rajasic is a manifester. They feel like they're a doer. They say, impossible? No. I'm possible. I'm possible. We have a person in San Diego. Her name is Jayanti. And she's a paraplegic. She's one of the most amazing people you'll ever meet. She doesn't allow her paraplegic physical ha to ha handicap her. In our San Diego, she's in charge of sending out the bulletins, creating all these flyers. She writes essays on Holy Mother. She goes swimming. I, I don't know how she does it, but she goes to the pool every Saturday. She experiences life. She's a manifester. She does it. So the Radosic mind, it will also say, look at me. Life is not being done to me. It's being done by me. And they feel active. They feel, again, they are the doer. I can do anything. Whereas a Tamasic mind will resist movement. A Rajasic mind will say, don't just sit there. Do something. What about a Sattvic mind? What is their identity? Well, they have an identity of someone who feels like an instrument. Their channel, an instrument of the divine to flow through. They feel as if there's a transparent me. Life is not being done to me or by me. It's being done through me. There's an effortlessness in whatever they do. They are in the being mode, not the active mode. They feel they're the witness. So their motto is, don't just do something. Sit there. You'll find Tomasic people are always unhappy, that they have a negative view in life. And Rajasic people, again, not people, mindsets, because you're going to find we all go through these various mindsets. A Rajasic mindset is always dissatisfied. There's always something that can be done better, can be improved. What's next? What's next? And the Sattvic mind is someone who feels he or she's always content. They feel fulfilled. A Tomasic person will not want responsibility. They always want to give the responsibility to others. A Rajasic mindset feels that they need to be in control. I am the law. A Sattvic person surrenders that control to something higher, God, the divine power. When they offer their actions to God, they feel whatever results they get back, those are the instructions they accept as a gift from the divine. And if it aligns with what they want, fine. If it doesn't align with what they want, that's also fine. Because these are instructions from the divine to help me grow and move on. Do you think a, a Tomasic person can surrender control? Do you think it's appropriate for them? If you're in a Tomasic mindset, do you think it's appropriate for you to surrender? No. Why? You go back into that unconscious soul. Because 
a sattvic person can clearly see that it is the divine that's moving everything, that's doing everything. A tamasic person can't see that. They have to purify their mind. They have to cleanse their mind before they can start to see the reality of what's going on. They need to exert self-effort. They need to gain control before they can start to give up control. So it's an excuse sometimes that we use when we're in a tamasic mindset. Oh, it's all God's will. No, you, you don't have the right to say that. Only when you can actually see that it's God's will, when you're in a sattvic state of seeing, can you say that. Till then, you've got to get to that state. So we start to find that different spiritual laws don't necessarily apply to all conditions. They do and they don't. So we have to find what's appropriate to us. A tamasic person will have no self-discipline. A rajasic mindset will have self-discipline. And a sattvic person will have natural discipline. When you're in a tamasic mindset, you always try to avoid things. And what happens is you go into a fantasy world. It's a compensatory mechanism that allows you to accomplish in your mind what you're too lazy to do. A tamasic person will live out of fear. They're always afraid of being moved from where they are. They want to stay there. The ostrich wants to keep its head in the hole when danger's around. You want to stay in that mindset. So you're afraid of anything that may push you out of that. A rajasic mindset is one, again, who lives for acknowledgement, lives for, for praise. And a sattvic mindset is one who lives in understanding. They want the understanding uh, understanding of the universe, the laws of polarity. They want to see the cause and effects. They make the connections. The problem is when we're in a tamasic mindset, we don't make that connection between what I do and what the results occur. Someone who's treating their date really badly will say, God, I wonder why she didn't call me back the next day. How rude. You don't make the understanding, the link of what we're doing and what the repercussions are. That's a tamasic mindset. So, how does all of this relate to you? Question will be, how do you know when you're in a tamasic state of mind, a rajasic state of mind, or a sattvic state of mind? These are important questions we should ask us. Tamasic mindset, how do you know? Do I participate in addictive or compulsive behavior? Do I often ask myself, why me? Do I give others responsibilities for my happiness? When you're in a tamasic relationship and you feel no joy within yourself, where do you go for joy? You go to your partner for joy. You have a dependent relationship. You become dependent on their light, on their source of joy to give you happiness because you feel no joy within yourself. So what you find is people who are tamasic and rajasic are always going outside of themselves to try to experience happiness. Whereas a person who's sattvic-minded or in a state of sattva is experiencing joy from within. And we know that when we go outside, what happens? We become dependent. And it never lasts. Do you know what happiness is? One Swami was telling me that when you're expecting something and expecting something, expecting something, and you want something, and you finally get it, what happens? Was it the person that gave you joy? Was it the object that gave you joy? He said, no, because if that person were to give you joy, they're the source of joy, then they would give everybody joy. But they don't give everybody joy. They only give you joy. Why do they only give you joy? It's because... Once you finally got that person, all of a sudden, your desire ended. And when it ended, when it, your mind became still, the joy from within yourself came out. So happiness is the ability to actually rid yourself of these desires. Because when you start to get rid of these desires, you start to experience the joy that's from within. Rajasic, 
Am I constantly moving throughout the day, or can I sit still? Do I have strong likes and dislikes? Are my goals oriented for status and recognition? What am I living my life for? Previous head of the Vedanta Society, Swami Swanaji, he used to mix all his food together. So when you gave him food, he had like all these different, he used to mix it all together. And it was, initially I think it was because he just didn't want to have strong likes and dislikes. Everything is the same. It caused frustration to the people who were serving him because they wanted to be recognized for the food that they gave. They wanted rajas. They were in the rajasic state of mind. Oh, Swami, what are you doing? Why are you mixing my food with that food? You're not going to be able to know what my food is. I want a little bit of recognition. That's the rajasic side. Sattvic. Do I feel equally happy when I'm alone or with others? Do I adjust easily to situations around me? Am I happy, content, and meditative in nature? Do I like simplicity? So I think the questions we should be asking us now is, what aspects of our lives do we resist or feel is not moving? It's the tamasic aspect of our life. What aspects of our lives do we crave recognition? You've got to think about this. It's the rajasic aspect of ourselves. What aspects in our lives are just moving too fast? We feel like we're losing control over what we're doing. And also, what aspects of our lives do we feel in balance? To give you an example about how all these things actually mesh together, um, I'd seen on YouTube a video about a procrastinator. And I'm going to relate that procrastination to the gunas here. I'll take my own story for example here. In the gunas, the person relays that there's Thomas. Thomas is what we call our instant gratification monkey. It wants things that are fun and easy. And when we're asked to do a lecture, we have like a two months or a two months to a month to prepare. So the Suffolk part of our mind, the rational decision maker says, let's begin that lecture now. But then the Tomasic instant gratification monkey comes in and says, why do you want to begin now? You've got two months. Let me take over and let's do things that are fun and easy. So it starts to drive that wheel. And as the days start to come and the time starts to come closer and closer, guess what happens? All of a sudden, the rajasic monster comes out, the image monster. The rajasic side, your image side comes out and says, hey, what's going on here? You've got two days before you've got to give this talk. And if you don't do it, you're going to look like a fool. So he chases the monkey, the easy, fast and easy monkey, instant gratification Thomas, out of the way and pleads to the sattvic part of us, that rational decision maker, please don't make me look like a fool here. Do something, write up a lecture, get going. And then the rational part of ourselves, the sattvic side says, okay, let's get to it. The gunas are always fluctuating within us. How do we manage this? We're all managing at all times. So although the gunas express themselves really as a spectrum, do you begin to see what your dominant guna is? Can you recognize out of all this, where do you fit in? Most of us actually fit in into the rajasic level. And we have tendencies of Thomas and tendencies of sattva. So now the question we should be asking is, what can I do for my own evolution? Once I've accepted where I am, once I start to become aware of where I am, how can I transform myself to be better? So what do we do? Well, we have seen how our mindset determines our moods and actions, but can we use our actions to change our mood and mindset? And the answer is yes. And let's look to Sri Ramakrishna for an answer on this one. Ramakrishna here is going to be talking about three types of actions that we can do. Under the spell of God's Maya, man forgets his true nature. He forgets that he is higher to the infinite glories of his Father. The divine Maya is made up of the three gunas, and all three are robbers, for they rob man of all his treasures 
and make him forget his true nature. The three gunas are sattva, rajas, and tamas. Of these, sattva alone points the way to God. And even sattva cannot take a man to God. Let me tell you a story. Once a rich man was passing through a forest when three robbers surrounded him and robbed him of all his wealth. After snatching all his possessions from him, one of the robbers said, What's the good of keeping the man alive? Kill him! Saying this, he was about to strike their victim with his sword when the second robber interrupted and said, There's no use in killing him. Let us bind him fast and leave him here. Then he won't be able to tell the police. Accordingly, the robber tied him with a rope, left him, and went away. After a while, the third robber returned to the rich man and said, Ah, you're badly hurt, aren't you? Come, I'm going to release you. The third robber set the man free and led him out of the forest. When they came near the highway, the robber said, Follow this road and you'll reach home easily. But you must come with me too, said the man. You have done so much for me. We shall all be happy to see you at our home. No, said the robber. It's not possible for me to go there. The police will arrest me. So saying, he left the rich man after pointing out his way. Now, the first robber who said, what's the good of keeping the man alive? Kill him, is Thomas. It destroys. The second robber is Rajas, which binds a man to the world and entangles him in a variety of activities. Rajas makes him forget God. Safa alone shows the way to God. It provides virtues like compassion, righteousness, and devotion. Again, sattva is the last step of the stairs. Next to it is the roof. The Supreme Brahman is man's own abode. One cannot attain the knowledge of Brahman unless one transcends the three gunas. What is Ramakrishna telling us here? He's telling us we can commit one of three actions. There are actions that will blind you from reality, Tamasic actions that blind us from the truth. There are actions which can bind you, Rajasic actions that bind you again to your name, fame, and prestige. And then there are actions that can release you. Doing actions in a way that you don't accumulate karma, but rather burn it off. How do we do this? Well, how do we break up Thomas and develop some more Rajas? If we're in Thomas, we need not to go to Sattva, but we need to get to Rajas. Why? If you're in a Tamasic state and I ask you to meditate, what's going to happen? Huh? What? Sleep. sleep. You're going to go to sleep. Exactly. You need to gain some activity, some awareness before you can get into that state of inactivity of meditative state. So, what do you do to break up Thomas when you find your aim is to get rid of mental inertia and get rajas flowing through you by raising your energy through physical exercise and to get self-motivated. You need to do something also that has a deadline because again, in this case, it's your fear samskara that can outweigh uh, your procrastination samskara. You also need to take responsibility for what you're feeling. If you feel you're the victim, you need to release the blame of others through the practice of forgiveness. You're doing this to release yourself of the toxicity that is running through your veins. You're now saying that you cannot determine my destiny. You're doing this you're saying that you cannot determine my destiny. Another thing to do is prayer. When you're feeling tamasic, hopeless, pray. Serenity prayer is great. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Also, when you're in that tamasic state of mind, get a routine going. Stop being dependent on your moods to do something, no matter how you feel. A routine will set you up to be independent of your feelings and emotions. And also, a routine can help you so that your mind doesn't have to worry about what it's going to do next. 
There's a thing I, I saw on, um, on YouTube, which is called Practic Kaizen. Has anybody ever heard of this? If you have a chance, I don't have time now to show you, but it's called the one minute principle. Do something at the same time every day for one minute, no more. It's simple enough because when you think about it as a minute, it's not a big deal. By doing something every day, it becomes a routine and it gives you, most importantly, the sense of accomplishment, a sense of victory. And when you get that sense of victory, you'll feel like doing it longer. Also, language is important when you're in a Tomasic mindset. Don't use victimized language. Language is important because not only does it describe our reality, but it also creates our reality. If we use words that keep us in constriction, then we stay in that passive state. I went to a workshop by NVC, Nonviolent Communication. And in that workshop, one of the people um, said that her boyfriend had taken her to a party and had left her alone by herself. And she felt really bad because she felt lonely. And she started blaming her boyfriend. She just said, you abandoned me. You betrayed me. You manipulated me. What it did was give power and authority to someone else. It disempowered you. Instead, when your needs are not met, look to how you feel. Go from a passive state to an active state and say, I felt afraid. I felt lonely. I felt hurt when this was done. Because you can do something about your feelings. You can own them. You can change them. They are non-victimizing words and give you authority over your own emotions. What you find is that in a Tomasic state of mind, the language we use sometimes is, if only this were to occur. What if this occurs? It keeps you from doing things. A Rajasic person will say, hey, here's a problem and I've got a solution. A Sothic person will say, here's a situation. What's the appropriate response? A Rajasic person personalizes the situation. A Sothic person impersonalizes the situation. They're detached. Now, how do you further cleanse and detoxify yourself from Thomas and Rajas to manifest more of the Sothic, the clear mind? Well, the gunas at the primal level cannot be destroyed. They can only be changed. They can be transformed. And there are three clear things if you do you'll notice how you can go from Thomas to Rajas to Sattva. The three things are watch what you eat, the impressions you gather, and the associations you keep. Food, impressions, and associations. Food has to be made sattvic. Consume more plant-based food. Keep yourself energetic. Someone said, eat what your grandmother used to eat not processed food. Impressions. What do I mean by impressions? Anybody? What's an impression? What's that? Music, TV? Yes? Anything that we're gathering through our senses. There are doorways that are coming into us and they're affecting our mind. Touch, taste, sound, smell. Huh? Conditioning. Okay, so that's, that's something else we'll be talking about. We could talk about even how we interpret the experiences, how we condition them. But right now, impressions here are more simple. It's about the music you listen to, the movies you watch, the places you go, the websites you visit, the interests you pursue. Do you feel calm, inspired, and energetic, and clear after you do these things? Or do you feel more tired, confused, and feel emotional, sluggish, or depressed? Do you notice? And, you know, if you don't, how can we start to notice? You know what many of the Swamis do here? Um, they have diaries. They keep journals. After every day, they'll write about the experiences that they've gone through, the impressions, and how it affects them. You need to start paying attention to things around us, how it's vibrating within our mind. Also, the associations we keep, how do they affect us? 
We associate with people at the heart level, and our relationships make a great impression on us. Now, there's going to be certain people that if you meet them, what do they do? They trigger the gossip within you. Other people you have, they may trigger agitation or competition within you. Holy company is company that inspires, elevates. It makes us feel alive and aware of something greater than ourselves. The Swami I talked about, Swami Swahananda, when I describe his life in two words, it was the message, go forward. Whenever you came up to him with an idea, whatever, whatever you had, he would take the seed of your idea and magnify it and make you believe in it. Push you, go forward. That's the type of company we need to have. People that not only believe in us, but that make us believe in ourselves. Time is up here. So just another thing really quick. How then do we calm down our rajas and go into sattva? How do we restrain that activity that's going on in and within us and go into more of a contemplative, meditative state? Well, one of the things is moving from self-motivated actions to selfless service. Converting our mind, which is going extroverted. Again, the awareness within us, reflected in our mind, is going out. And our attention is all out here. Doing things that brings the attention back within us. Cultivating a witness attitude. Just simply observing what's going on without reacting. Yoga. Rest. Nature. Nature is a big thing. Going on nature walks. Meditation. The effects of all this is that we start to become more expansive. We feel peace rather than constriction and turbulence. We start to realize we have space between our thoughts where we can make conscious choices. We don't just react to situations like we do when we're tamasic and rajasic. We react without thinking. We respond to situations in a sattvic mind. We can look at something clearly, see what's the appropriate action. Here's the situation. What's the appropriate response? And then act accordingly. We start to witness the activities in our mind. And if you can't do any of those things, Ramakrishna has given us an easier way. Whatever your state of mind is, turn it to God. Be it tamasic, rajasic, or sattvic. So he says here, there are three kinds of formal devotion, tamasic, rajasic, and sattvic. If a person, while showing devotion to God, is actuated by malevolence, arrogance, jealousy, or anger, then this devotion is tamasic, since it's influenced by Thomas, the quality of inertia. If he worships God from a desire for fame or wealth or for any other worldly ambition, then this devotion is rajasic, since it's influenced by rajas, the quality of activity. But if a person loves God without any thought of material gain, if he performs his duty to please God alone and maintains towards all created beings the attitude of friendship, then his devotion is called sattvic, since it's influenced by sattva, the quality of harmony. But the highest devotion transcends the three gunas, or qualities, being spontaneous, uninterrupted inclination of the mind towards God, the inner soul of all beings. And... It wells up in the heart of a true devotee as soon as he hears the name of God or mention of God's attributes. A devotee possessed of this love would not accept the happiness of heaven, even if it were offered to him. His one desire is to love God under all conditions, in pleasure and pain, life and death, honor and dishonor, prosperity and adversity. What we're saying here, basically, is just by adding God into your life, that will be a self-corrective mechanism, and that itself will bypass the need to go up from Thomas Rajas Sattva. Do you know Ramakrishna had tamasic bhakti? Do you know in which situation in his life? Do you remember the event when he was going to kill himself if God didn't reveal himself? That's tamasic bhakti, pleading God. I'm going to take care of my life if you don't reveal yourself to me. I plead to you. you I demand you. You show yourself to me. Rajasic bhakti here is more, God, I'll do this if you give me this recognition. But it's still going to God. The purpose of going to God is eventually 
you evolve, the grace of God will take you in that state of evolution. One last thing I do want to say here, because time is up, is that all of these gunas are in the Bhagavad Gita. The first six chapters of the Gita highlight karma yoga, because the individual needs rajas to remove tamas. Chapters 7 through 12 highlight the importance of upasana yoga, which transforms rajas into sattva. And the last six chapters highlight jnana yoga, which requires predominant sattva and a simple lifestyle. To attain the fruits of moksha, all yogas need to be practiced. The next stage is moksha, guna transcendence. So today here, what we've done is we've come to look, observe what our states of mind are, to become aware of what we're doing, how we're reacting. Because once we have awareness, we can have acceptance. I can accept the way I am now. I can accept the things about me. Now I'm ready to transform. And as I do self-transformation, eventually I get to self-realization. Finally, summary. At all times, the gunas are changing and they're affecting us. At any one time, one guna will predominate. Our gunic nature determines our mindset, which affects our moods, attitudes, and actions. But our actions can also change our moods, mindset, and gunic nature. Finally, I'm going to leave you with this. By the name alone. This was written by a devotee, Dharmadas. I think this summarizes it nicely. Lost in the world of distraction, I asked my teacher how to know God. He replied by the silent repetition of the name. Buffeted and pained by a broken world, I asked my teacher how to find peace. He replied by the constant repetition of the name. Seeing friends and family suffer and die, I asked my teacher how to face death. He replied by the faithful repetition of the name. When overcome by anger and resentment, I asked my teacher, how to face the beast? He replied by the humble repetition of the name. Experiencing deep sorrows of life, I asked my teacher how to lift my spirits. He replied by the sincere repetition of the name. When feeling content and at peace, I asked my teacher how to show gratitude. He replied by the joyful repetition of the name. Thank you so much. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tatsat Shri Ramakrishna Rapanamastu You've been listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Thanks for listening.